Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 303. I hope you're doing very well. Uh, it's early on a Saturday morning in November. The leaves outside are, you know, really, they're in the middle of changing color. They're bright red right now. Very, very beautiful. Uh, I was on, you know, talked to somebody this morning who lives in Florida. And they saw my picture of the leaves on my Instagram story and went, oh, like, that's what it looks like when you have a season. I can't believe it. You know, they, they don't, I guess I, didn't, I never thought about this, but in Florida, there just isn't really much of a seasonal change with the leaves and the colors and um, interesting to me. Now, in today's episode, obviously, we're going to start with the 49ers and the Packers. That's the, the first game that happened in the NFL Week 9. But then I want to turn back the clock and go back to NFL Week 8 because there's still some things I want to talk about that we learned from Week 8 last week. We'll talk about how Joe Burrow, the Bengals quarterback, really helps his offensive line. We'll talk about the key to stopping the Tennessee Titans on offense, uh, the problem with the Cowboys defense, some lessons that you can learn from Carson Wentz, the Eagles quarterback's failures. And then we'll end the show with a, I think, a good topic about why I would not bench the Giants quarterback, Daniel Jones. But of course, as I said earlier, we'll start today with this. On Thursday night football, the Green Bay Packers beat the San Francisco 49ers 34-17. to uh, The Packers are now 6-2 after the win. The 49ers are now 4-5. This was a dominating win by the Green Bay Packers. Now, yeah, the Packers played very, very well. But also, the 49ers are just in really, really bad shape. They're missing so many players at this point. Uh, yeah, I mean, here's a list of some guys that are out. I'm not going to list them all. I know there's more I'm forgetting, but between COVID and injuries, here are some of the players that the 49ers are missing. Just a couple of, couple of key players that might be kind of important to them winning. How about their number two overall pick? The former guy they picked in the, you know, second overall in the NFL draft, Nick Bosa. He's out with a torn ACL. Solomon Thomas, another defensive end has a torn ACL. More recently, a key player on the offensive line, Trent Williams. Uh, he got He's on the COVID reserve list, uh, their left tackle. Uh, they also have three receivers, Brandon Ayuk and Kendrick Bourne, are on the COVID list. You have Debo Samuel. He's both on the COVID list and hurt with a hamstring injury. The quarterback, a little bit important, Jimmy Garoppolo, is on the injury uh, injured reserve with a high ankle sprain. George Kittle, the I would call him the best tight end in football, has a fractured foot. He's on the IR. Three running backs, Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson Jr., and Tevin Coleman. They're all out and injured. And so you're missing three running backs, uh, three receivers, a tight end, your starting quarterback, your left tackle, a couple other players on defense. I'm probably, I know I must be forgetting somebody. But I think the 49ers have a very, very solid backup quarterback, Nick Mullins. I would say he's in the conversation as maybe the best backup in the entire NFL. I would not make him a starting quarterback ever at any point in his career. But if I was a team that had a quarterback I liked, one of my first phone calls would be, hey, let's get Nick Mullins in the building because he can run our offense well enough and do well for a couple of games if our guy is hurt and keep our season alive in a situation like that. And I am not kidding. The 49ers quarterback Nick Mullins was literally throwing to a guy I had never heard of Richie James. Now, Richie James, I guess, is out of Middle Tennessee State. I believe. I think I'm getting that right. Um, he's a former seventh-round pick. Nine catches, 184 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, I know the name now. Good for him. But that's how far we've come with the 49ers is I just feel bad for Nick Mullins because 
COVID screwed up their entire game plan. They missed their you know, two receivers that were just Kendrick Bourne and Brandon Ayuk. We they found out right before the game started. Hey, by the way, like a day before, a day earlier. Hey, by the way, they're not going to play. So you got to scrap everything you have planned, and you know create a whole new game plan. And Nick Mullins had two turno- two turnovers. Can't even say turnovers. Where he got hit as he threw. I just felt bad for the guy. On a third and sixteen, he got hit trying to throw to a checkdown. Uh, you know, probably just take the sack. The ball got popped up in the air and intercepted. Later, he was hit uh, as he tried to throw and he fumbled. So again, I, I the word I, I I keep saying this, but I feel so bad for the 49ers. I was interested in their season. Uh, it's been totally nerfed by injuries and COVID. Um, and I, at this point, there's just no pieces in place. They got a great head coach, Kyle Shanahan. I would call him. I thought he was coach of the year going into this game. What he's done to try to keep their season alive. But I guess at the end of the day, no matter how good your coaching is, if you lose your entire roster, it, it just doesn't matter. You can't win games. And uh, it, it really showed here. I mean, they were down 30-3 to at one point in this game. The 49ers were. Now, look, Aaron Rodgers, the Packers quarterback, was amazing. He had uh, 25. He was 25 for 31 passing, had 305 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. He literally only had one incomplete pass in the entire second half, and that was actually a throw where there was pressure. He was extending the play. He just threw it out of bounds away to avoid taking a sack. I mean, Aaron Rodgers was ethereal in this game. He was phenomenal. But there was a moment on a third and short where Marquez Valdez-Scantling had what I would call a bad drop. He's wide open. You got to catch that pass. And Aaron Rodgers gave Marquez Valdez-Scantling that Aaron Rodgers glare, the death stare. And I hate that crap. I really, really hate. It's something we've seen often from Aaron Rodgers where when a receiver screws up, he gives them that death glare. And I think that the way Aaron Rodgers handles and reacts to mistakes by his teammates is totally inappropriate and very, very unhelpful for his team. There's a very similar moment in the Steelers-Ravens game in week eight where a Steelers receiver had a bad drop. I think it was on a key third down as well. And the Steelers quarterback, Big Ben, was totally encouraging and kind. He said, hey, the clap, you know, clap in the hands, kind of smiling, like, hey, let's go, you got this. And that's a much better way to handle a moment where somebody on your team screws up. Now, look again, third and five, you're wide open, 100%. That's a pass that needs to be caught. But the passive-aggressive glare, that's not a good look, and that's not a good way to handle that situation. And it feels like everybody kind of gives Aaron Rodgers a pass for that. You know, he's treated like Wisconsin's lord and savior, like, oh, the mighty Aaron Rodgers, ah! And he's won a Super Bowl, he's been an MVP, he deserves a lot of respect he gets. But the glare and the attitude behind it creates a bad environment. I, I just, if I could ever ask Aaron Rodgers anything... I'd ask him about the way that he glares at receivers. You know, I would ask him why he thinks that's okay to do that. I wouldn't just be as, you know, all buddy-buddy with Aaron Rodgers. I would really challenge him, dude, what's going on in those moments? And I guess maybe, maybe challenging him is a wrong approach. Uh, I, I, you know, Aaron would probably say, well, he needs to catch that ball. And he would be right, of course. You know, true, you're not wrong. Your receiver on third and five wide open has got to catch that pass. But in the big picture... I guess, isn't it better if receivers want to catch the ball because they like you, not because they're afraid of you? 
I just think the death glare is never a good idea. And Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion, has a wrong approach. So I, I guess I wouldn't challenge him, but maybe I would, you know, because I think challenging him would make him just defensive and put his guard up and maybe even an interview. He'd be like, oh, he'd be all mad. But instead, I would try to explain that I, I think there's a better way. He probably still wouldn't like that either, but you could at least try on your end to communicate in a way that doesn't make him immediately shut down. But I just, every time I watch Aaron Rodgers do that death glare at a receiver who makes a mistake, I go, dude, that's just not a healthy, good, positive way to handle that. I look at Big Ben. He's like, hey, let's go. Clapping, you know, encouraging, kind of smiling. Hey, you got this. That's a much better way to handle somebody around you who makes a mistake. And I, I, every time I watch that, I, I think about Aaron Rodgers and I go, man, that's just not a good way to handle that situation. Now, let's turn back the clock a little bit to NFL Week 8. Last Sunday, the Bengals beat the Tennessee Titans 31-20. to And so the Bengals, after the win, they're now 2-5-1. And, and the Tennessee Titans are 5-2. And, and I don't know that I would call this a close game. Uh, you know, the Bengals are up 24-7 to early in the fourth quarter. But this game is a reminder, really, of how small the margin for error in the NFL is. And, you know, think about it this way. The Titans had 441 yards of total offense in this game. Actually, way more than the Bengals did. The Bengals had 300-something. Derrick Henry had 112 yards rushing. And the Titans did some really good stuff in this game. Things that I go, that's encouraging. That's good. Ryan Tannehill had this dime down the left sideline. Just a beautiful, perfect throw. Uh, there was a, a, another play where it's third and goal. Technically, three-yard line. I would call it a three and a half, uh, 3.75 yard run, even maybe basically four yards where the Titans ran for a touchdown. That's an impressive run showing a lot of confidence in your running game. Uh, the Titans had a 10 play 75 yard drive where nine of their plays were running plays. It's just like impressive, man. They were pounding the rock. So they're running the ball. Well, I thought Ryan Tannehill had a couple of really good throws. Titans receiver Corey Davis had a really big day. He had eight catches for 128 yards and another and a touchdown. And uh, this is only the fourth time ever, by the way, that Corey Davis has had a 100-yard receiving game. And part of that is because, of course, the Titans are really heavy with running the football. They have been for a while. Uh, but also, Corey Davis was the number five overall pick in 2017. And it's kind of sad he's had such a muted career to this point. It's very disappointing for Titans fans. I think I would even say that Corey Davis has had a very, very disappointing career given how high he was drafted. But Corey Davis had this huge day, and it's kind of sad that, that a lot of success for him did not lead to a Titans victory. I mean, things went well. They're running the ball well. Ryan Tannehill has a couple big throws. Uh, Corey Davis had a big day. And in the end, you know, really a couple of small things are what led to the Titans losing by a lot. It's funny how, again, the margin for error in the NFL is so small where a couple small things can have a really big impact. Ryan Tannehill had an interception in the end zone where Ryan Tannehill was extending the play and uh, I think made a throw he probably shouldn't have made. He probably should have just thrown the ball away and lived to see another day. Instead, forces it into coverage in the end zone, got picked off. Steven Goskowski, the kicker for the Titans, missed another field goal. And I like Steven Goskowski, uh, but he's really, really been struggling this year. He's 10 for 17 kicking. He also missed two extra points so far this year. And this game also kind of highlighted really 
how badly the Titans are struggling to generate a pass rush uh, going into the game. And I guess even still this very moment as I talk, the Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow is the second most sacked quarterback in the entire NFL. You would think, hey, wait, anytime you play the Bengals, you're like, this is our day. We're going to get a sack. This is our day to finally show what we've been missing. And the Titans did not sack Joe Burrow once. The only quarterback who's been sacked more than Joe Burrow is Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz. And so really it's kind of being shown that Jadavian Clowney, the defensive end they added in free agency, he's a number two. He's a Robin, not a Batman. And it's been very disappointing from a Titans standpoint that they have not been able to generate any kind of pass rush this year. Now, it also makes sense why the Titans traded for a corner Desmond King from the Chargers. They're desperate for help. Uh, I'm hopeful that the trade is going to work out for Tennessee. I think it might. But the Chargers did not want Desmond King at all. He was inconsistent. He had some problems behind the scenes. Uh, LA literally just gave him away. They said, take his contract. We don't want him. Well, they traded him away for a sixth-round pick. This is a guy who's 25 years old who's a former All-Pro corner. That's not a trade to see every day. A guy who has been that successful in the past gets basically handed away to another organization. But I am hopeful that, you know, the Bengals game kind of highlighted, man, they can't generate a pass rush. They need help in their secondary. I think that maybe Desmond King can come in and generate and help their defense in the ways that they need. Now, this game also really highlighted that the key to the Titans offense is first and second down. Because they are not built at all for third and long. You know, basically the key to stopping the Titans offense, if you're a defense, from a defensive perspective, if you stop them on first and second down and you get them in a third and long, basically you've already won. So watch for, if you're a fan, watch for that going forward this year. Because in this game, especially against the Bengals, it really showed there were a ton of mistakes by the Titans on early downs. There was a missed throw high by Ryan Tannehill on an out route. There was a holding call on the offensive line. There was a ball that A.J. Brown dropped over the middle on a second down play. And the Titans offense is built for running the ball. So on third and long, they they run the ball well. They use play action that generates throws downfield. On third and long, play action doesn't work. Nobody buys the the fake that you're going to run the ball. They go, you're not running the ball. They back way off because the run fake has no, no, what I call it, no power over a defense. And so right now, Tennessee's main focus on offense has to be avoiding a third and long situation at all costs. Now, I thought the Bengals beating the Tennessee Titans was uh, an impressive performance. I think the Titans are likely a playoff team. And so it really shows how much progress the Bengals have made uh, winning a game like this, doing it the way they did at 31 to 20. They were up again. They were up 24 to 7 at one point. In the you know, early in the fourth quarter. And Joe Burrow, I guess, has really been exactly what was needed to breathe new life into Cincinnati. And Joe Burrow's progressing so, so quickly. I love seeing him, man. I, I just look, we'll see if he ever I don't know, I don't know what the ceiling is for Cincinnati. Um, but I it shows, man, for from a Cincinnati perspective. Joe Burrow is absolutely the right pick. And there was no doubt he was, but oh my gosh, he really has turned things around in Cincinnati. And again, there's a lot of hope in Cincinnati. He is changing some of the culture, the work ethic there. 
And Joe Burrow is progressing so, so quickly from a mental standpoint. I mean, he has answers to nearly everything defenses are doing. His timing has been really good. He's also getting the ball out of his hands very, very quickly. And the thing I love about Joe Burrow so far is he has not made the same mistakes twice, like at all. That's hard. I mean, you learn a lesson, but you have to learn the lesson. You can't just make the mistake. He's making the mistake and learning lessons from the mistakes he makes. I think that's awesome. And uh, Joe's doing such a good job in Cincinnati. Uh, Receiver T. Higgins was the first pick in the second round. He's really showing why that was a great pick. He had a ridiculous catch against Tennessee down along the sideline. Joe Burrow extends the play, throws vertically. Great play to keep his uh, feet in bounds. Now, I think the biggest takeaway from this Tennessee Titans-Cincinnati Bengals game is that the Bengals' offensive line is just not very good. However, despite the fact that they're not very good, they're, they're not very physically talented, and they make little mistakes, the one thing that Bengals' offensive line can always, always control is that they can always give high levels of effort. No matter how talented you are, you can always control your effort. And there's this almost like a silent understanding where Joe Burrow is so good at movement in and out of the pocket. He can extend plays. He can step up, move right, move left. Where the key to the Bengals' offensive line at this point is simply all hinging on their effort. Because Joe Burrow is so good at moving around and creating more time to throw the ball. Joe can elevate the success of the offensive line with his movement as long as those guys keep giving a high level of effort. long as they keep giving effort, he'll navigate the pocket with his movement well enough to stay alive and throw the ball downfield. So I, I think, man, it's because... It, it, so you see, like, if you're watching Jake Fromm at Georgia, Jake Fromm in college at Georgia, stood back there in the pocket like a statue. Literally had time for days. Dude, never got touched. No bodies were around him. Joe Burrow's never going to have a clean pocket where it's easy can just stand in the pocket there's going to be no pressure on him but as long as the offensive line despite giving ground and having a guy come free here or there if they can just keep giving effort he can find a way to stay alive in the pocket throw the ball vertically it's never going to be clean but Joe Bur- Joe Burrow's pocket movement's such a big deal and it really can we saw this against the Titans can help make the offensive line better in Cincinnati and by the way Joe Burrow is a way better athlete that people tend to give him credit for. We always talk about his arm, but Joe Burrow is also a really, really great athlete. Now, there was this ridiculous catch. Uh, that I think the, the, the play kind of highlights Joe Burrow's ability to move within the pocket. Joe throws the ball while his receiver is literally turned away from him. And I don't know that that completion isn't luck or maybe an accident. You know, the receiver turns up the last second. I don't know how he possibly knew the ball was coming to him. But he turns to catch it. Either way, it's really, really great footwork by Joe Burrow. And it shows like he really can use his legs to make his offensive line better with subtle movements in the pocket or extending plays. And uh, that is how Joe Burrow makes his offensive line a little bit better. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we will talk about the problem with Carson Wentz. We'll talk about why the Eagles' defense is struggling. And I'll end the show by talking about why I would not bench the Giants quarterback, Giants quarterback Daniel Jones. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. 
All right, we are back again. I hope you're doing very, very well. I want to talk about Sunday Night Football. In week eight of the NFL season, on Sunday Night Football with the world watching, the Eagles beat the Cowboys 23-9. to uh, The Eagles, after the win, are now 3-4-1, and one, just not a very good record. Uh, the Cowboys are 2-5. and five. This was a very, very ugly game. Uh, the Cowboys had a rookie quarterback playing, Ben DiNucci. He's a seventh-round pick. And uh, Ben was okay, could have been worse. Had a lot of rookie mistakes, mostly held onto the ball too long. Uh, he had two fumbles. But somehow, that's not the Cowboys' biggest problem. The Cowboys' biggest problem is their run defense. It's the worst in the NFL by literally over 200 yards. It's awful. And the Cowboys' defense has many, many problems, but the front seven, their defensive line, their linebackers, they are really struggling with communication, with trust, with gap integrity. There's a lot of missed assignments. Uh, there's some bad tackling angles. And if you've ever played linebacker, then you know about gap responsibility. Basically, every defender has a job in the running game. And there are gaps that need to be covered. And a gap is like the space between an offensive lineman. You have the A gap, which is the space between the center and the two guards. You have the B gap between the guards and the tackles. You have the C gap between the tackles and the tight ends. And then outside of the tight ends is the D gap. So if you're on defense, you have a gap that you are responsible for. And you have to trust that the guy next to you is going to cover his gap. You need to communicate all of this doing, you know, during shifts and motions by the offensive line. A guy comes across, hey, hey, out and out, things like that. You got to talk and communicate. And it has to be clear what your responsibility is every play on defense. And a lack of trust and a lack of communication is causing so many problems. Guys are in the wrong gaps. Guys are overcompensating. They don't trust the guy next to them. So I got to cover his gap and my gap, which is just not true at all. You got to trust that he's going to do his job. I'll do my job. There are missed assignments. It's a mess right now in Dallas. There are all kinds of problems. And basically, the Cowboys are struggling with football fundamentals, where I think their defense would have been bad regardless of you know, what happened this year. But 100% COVID and having a, you know, a really weird offseason, no preseason, that's definitely made it worse in Dallas. Uh, you know, learning... I'm kind of learning, I guess, that the preseason is really more important than I would have thought. It's really, it's affected defenses for sure this year. Uh, the weird offseason really hurt Dallas. And it's causing all kinds of ways for Dallas to screw up the football fundamentals. It's making their defense even worse than it would have been. But the Dallas Cowboys have to focus on communication. Trusting the guy next to you. And then just, hey, find the right assignments. you got to stop leaving gaps wide open. I watched the Eagles-Cowboys game. There's like a 17-yard run, run early on when where Jalen Smith, a guy who I thought was a good linebacker, is just not in his gap. He's not where he should be at all. And then he takes a bad angle to get the tackle. It's just a mess. It's really, really bad. And those are the things that the Cowboys are struggling with right now. Trust, communication, and I guess gap integrity. It's the basic fundamentals of football. And that's why the Cowboys' defense has been so, so bad against the run. Now, so the Eagles beat the Cowboys, and it wasn't really pretty. They were actually losing 9-7 to at halftime. But against Dallas, Carson Wentz had four turnovers, two fumbles, and two interceptions. And a lot of lessons can be learned from Carson Wentz' failures. 
The biggest lesson, in my opinion, is basically that Carson Wentz is trying to do way too much. He's trying to be Superman. And the Eagles have been hit by a ton of injuries. You know, I think Carson Wentz is trying to compensate to make up for it. You know, okay, we may not have the guy we need there and there and there, but I'm going to put the team on my back and carry us to compensate for all the losses. He's holding onto the ball way too long. He's making risky throws. He's forcing throws into coverage. And I often relate playing quarterback to being a race car driver. I do that all the time. And, you know, the offense and the system, the play calling, I call that the race car. And therefore, the quarterback is the driver. And the problem is right now, the Eagles offense is not a sports car. They're more like an old beat up junker car. So you can have a race car driver, but he's driving a horrible car that's not actually a race car. And Carson Wentz hates losing. He's very, very competitive. And his fear is that if I just do my job and do it normally, I'm not going to be able to help my team enough to win football games. And so Carson's competitive nature is part of the problem right now in Philadelphia. But Carson needs to realize you can't add to and be part of the Eagles' problems on offense. Okay, you're missing a guy. You're, he ran the route. He did this. He did this. He did that. You can't compound a mistake with your own mistake and add to the problem. So Carson Wentz just needs to do, execute and do his job. Do your job. Execute the offense. I always say drive the car down the road. Your job as a quarterback, you're, you're in charge of this really, you're driving this incredible, nice sports car. Drive the car down the road. Do the little things. Execute. But the problem is Carson doesn't trust anybody around him. And he doesn't trust the system around him. doesn't trust the play calling. And so if Carson Wentz ever gets benched, two things will have happened. Number one, it would mean that the Eagles are sick of his antics. They're sick of Carson's crazy plays, throwing the ball across the field and doing dumb stuff. But it would also mean that number two, Jalen Hurts, the backup quarterback, will have been doing a better job simply executing the offense. He's not doing any crazy stuff. He's taking all the throws that are there and doing the little things right. Carson Wentz is struggling with the little things. He needs to simply execute the offense. Again, just drive the car down the road. Just drive the car, Carson. That's all you got to do. Stop trying to do these wacky things where you roll out right and you hold on the ball way too long, you get sacked and you fumble or you throw the ball into traffic. Because Carson Wentz is incredibly talented. I would say that he is one of the most talented, physically gifted quarterbacks in all of the NFL. And I just think that Carson Wentz has to stop getting in his own way. He's got an incredible arm. He can run. He can make all kinds of plays, but he's got to execute and do the little things right if he wants to be, wants to keep his job, basically. He's got to turn things around and start executing and stop making these crazy, ridiculous, you know, attempts at trying to be Superman. Now, there are two more small lessons you can learn from Carson Wentz and his problems and his mistakes. These are mistakes that led to turnovers where, you know, first there's an interception on a deep ball to John Hightower. Hightower is running a deep post and Carson throws it really to the wrong location. He's got to lead John Hightower across the field away from the defenders where there's really nobody. If you look at the middle of the field, kind of across the field to the right side, there's nobody on that side of the field. Lead your receiver away from a defender. Instead, Carson throws it more vertical and helps the young rookie corner for Dallas get an interception. 
Instead of throwing it across the field, it gets picked off because he left it too vertical down the field. Now, the final lesson is this. I always say that young quarterbacks have to know when a blitz is coming, and you need to, you need to know where it's coming from and how to beat that blitz with a throw. So on a fourth and three, Carson did not recognize Cowboys linebacker Leighton Vanderesh blitz right up the middle. And the lesson here is that if a team blitzes, that means that there's a weakness in the coverage. Either they're in man coverage downfield or a void has been opened up in zone coverage somewhere in their coverage. And Vanderesh blitzing left a void wide open in the middle of the field. And Carson not only doesn't see the blitz, he also does not see Greg Ward standing wide open. Number 84 standing wide open in the middle of the field. I mean, there are literally two Eagles receivers wide open in the middle. So young quarterbacks, you always have to understand how to beat a blitz. You have to have a plan. What's your plan? When they blitz, know where it's coming from, know when it's happening, and have a plan to beat the blitz with your arm throwing the football. All right, final topic of the day. I made a video a couple days ago called I've Given Up on Daniel Jones. And if you you haven't watched it, I recommend going to watch it. It's on YouTube. Uh, But the gist of it is that Daniel Jones keeps making mistakes and keeps making a lot of the same mistakes over and over and over again, the Giants quarterback. And on top of the mistakes, he's also not super talented physically. He had that good run, but even other than the ability to run, it's like he's kind of Mitchell Trubisky. And there are already four young quarterbacks in their first or second year who look like they're better than him. Kyler Murray, Drew Locke, Joe Burrow, and Justin Herbert. And we're entering this golden age of quarterbacks where there are so many talented young quarterbacks. In fact, I think very soon there's going to be more talented young quarterbacks than you have starting jobs in the NFL. And the Giants cannot afford to be one of the teams that, as this, there's this young quarterback golden era, there's young quarterbacks everywhere. The Giants cannot afford to be one of the teams that do not have a good young quarterback. And so I've given up on Daniel Jones. My prediction is that I don't think it's going to work. But with that said, I also would not bench Daniel Jones at all. Because basically it makes no sense to bench him. So my prediction is he's not the long-term guy. But I ask you, what does benching Daniel Jones for Colt McCoy do for the Giants? How does that help the New York Giants? It doesn't. They're one in seven. If Daniel Jones continues to play badly, hey, guess what? You got a high draft pick. You can replace Daniel Jones. But also maybe, and I doubt this, but maybe somehow a switch gets flipped on and Daniel Jones starts playing really, really well. And then, yeah, you got your franchise quarterback. That'd be awesome. I don't think that's going to happen. But my point is that there's no benefit to benching Daniel Jones. My prediction is it's not going to work. I literally said I've given up on Daniel Jones. But what that means is I do not think that as the year plays out, he's going to turn out to be the long-term guy. But you still got to keep playing Daniel Jones all year. See how things turn out. You're likely going to have to replace him. But benching Daniel Jones does nothing helpful for the New York Giants. All right, guys, that's all I have. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I love you. I appreciate you. I, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to bed. Really, uh, I've got this weird sleeping schedule now, where I, I I'm awake for eight hours, and then after eight hours of being awake, I go to sleep. Uh, for to sleep for four hours, you know, eight hours awake, four hours of sleep, eight four, eight four, eight four, on and off, on and off. And it's working really well. So, 
uh, I am going to go to sleep for four hours. I, then it will, I will edit the show and uh, put it out to the world. And I hope you enjoyed. I hope you have a great day. I love you. Uh, I think I'm going to later, in my next eight hours, I'm going to record uh, predictions versus reality for NFL Week 8. And then hopefully record some NFL predictions for Week 9 coming up. Hope you have a great day. Uh, after I record that show, then I'm going to watch the USC-Arizona game. That'll be really fun. Uh, the Georgia-Florida game is today. Notre Dame-Clemson. We'll do some Ask Zach questions. All that stuff is up ahead in the next episode or two. Uh, but I appreciate you. I love you. I hope you enjoyed the show. Have a great day. But um bum bam, we are done.